So again, it's great to be with all of you here this morning. We're in week three of a seven-week sermon series called 40 Days of Prayer, and we've been focusing on prayer. We started this series off uh, three weeks ago now talking about how you and I grow spiritually. It's very easy for us as Christians to get stuck in what I would call a spiritual rut. And it's the idea that, eh, my walk with Jesus is fine. My faith is fine. Um, In my household, fine has become the F word. We don't say fine. Jesus didn't die for fine. Jesus died so that we would have life and life to the full today. It's not just a heaven thing. It's an impact your life today. And we are called as children of God to grow into maturity. There is God's work that he does in that. And there's our work that we do in that as well. So if you missed that first uh, series, that first uh, message, I encourage you to check out our social media and you can get a refresher on that because it's so important to realize how the Bible teaches us how we grow in our faith, grow in maturity. And then last week we talked about, kind of kicked off the topic of prayer. It was kind of a prayer 101 uh, topic, kind of like high level of what prayer is. It was kind of a beginner's guide to prayer that we did. And so this week we're going to kind of kind of get further along into this topic of prayer. And um, this uh, past month, I kind of have, as kind of in my family, um, have been looking for ways to save. You know, like things just seem like it's getting more and more expensive. Things are going up. You know, the cost of everything seems to get higher and higher. And I want to be a good steward of the resources that God gave me and my family. I want to be able to continue to live a generous life and to tithe and to give where I feel God has called me to give. So in order to live a generous lifestyle, you have to be smart. You have to plan out what you do with your money. So I was looking for ways that I could just save a little bit more money in my family. And one of the ways I decided to do that was look at all our phone stuff, our Internet stuff, our cell phones and all that. And I found a great way to save about 20 bucks a month, and I got rid of call waiting. I just thought that was brilliant. Yeah, I just saved all this money, call waiting. Just who needs it? Well, there's something really weird that started happening in my household now that we got rid of call waiting. Is the phone rings, and I'm not too sure I want to pick it up. (laughs) It's like ringing, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, Okay, well, this could be important. This could be someone from the church or it could be a family member. I should get it. Nine times out of ten, it's someone calling to clean my my furnace and clean my ductwork. And I'm on every list to stop calling me, but they keep on calling all the time. And then so you kind of pick it up. And then someone just starts talking to you and they just start talking. And it's like they're talking to you like you know who they are. You ever have that? Or you pick up the phone and this person just talking away and talking away and talking away and you have no clue who it is. And you're like trying, and you're very guarded at that moment. You don't know what you should say, what you should figure out who this is. And then finally the voice kind of clicks in, you clue in, you know who it is. Oh, okay. Now, now you can start talking, right? 
Well, I bring this up because I firmly believe that prayer is exactly the same way. You do not know who you are praying to, you are not going to open up honestly in prayer. Let me say that again. If you do not know who you are talking to, you will not open up honestly before God in prayer. See, we live in a culture today that has a lot of different views about who God is. A lot of people in our world today believe that God is an angry God who hates just wants to make sure that you have no fun in your life. That God is this angry man sitting on a throne, waving this holy finger saying, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good. And he just sets up this big list of here's all the things that you can't do in your life because I hate you and I don't want you to have any fun. People believe that about God. That God is just this killer who wants them to have no fun in their life. Some people think... God doesn't really care about me. Because if he did, he'd answer my prayers. Or if he did, my life would be going a lot better. I wouldn't have struggles in my family. I wouldn't have struggles in my finances. There wouldn't be these... Obviously, God doesn't love me. Your perception of God and who God is will impact how you him. And that's kind of our big idea that I want to unpack today. The big idea is this. What you know about someone determines how you talk to them. What you know about someone determines how you talk about them. So today what I want us to do in this series of 40 Days of Prayer is I want to help all of us get a better understanding of who God is. So that we could pray to him more. Now, when you talk about God, there's a lot of topics, there's a lot of characteristics of God that we could address. God is an amazing God. He's a huge God. There's so many amazing qualities about God. We could talk about God's omniscient. That means God is kind of all-knowing. We could talk about God's omnipresence, the fact that God is everywhere. We could talk about God's omnipotence, that God is all-powerful. We could talk about just he is, how loving he is, how unchanging he is, how holy he is. There's so many things that we can address. But today, to look at just one characteristic of God. And I believe if we truly grasp this characteristic of God, it will radically change how you and I pray to God. And it's God's goodness. I want to talk today about God's goodness. And I want to kick this off starting with this verse in Psalm 100. Danielle read it earlier during our time of praise. And Psalm 100 verse 5 says this, For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Just let the words of that psalm just sink into your heart for a moment. In fact, why don't we read this out loud together? Read this with me. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's do that one more time. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. The Lord is good. 
love endures forever because of his goodness. His love is not temporary. His love is not conditional. His love doesn't go away for a generation and then come back a generation or two later. The Lord is good. His love endures forever. And his faithfulness continues all generations. This is so important for you and I to grasp in our lives if we are going to come before this God in prayer. We talked about this last week, kind of the basics of prayer, why we pray. But if you don't truly believe that God is good, why would you ever pray to a God who isn't good? Think about that. If God truly was mean and cruel and hostile and just wanted your life to be boring and have no fun in it whatsoever, why would you ever pray to him? You see, back in the time when the Bible was written, there were all these other cultures that had all these different types of gods. And they would pray to these gods. And pretty much in every single ancient religion, they prayed to the gods out of fear and trepidation. That we are going to pray to this God, to this God out of sheer fear that this God doesn't smite us. We'll sacrifice to the God of the sea so that when we go into our boats, we don't sink to the bottom. We'll sacrifice to the, the, the God of the harvest so that when our plants grow, we'll actually get food and not starve to death. Sheer fear. A whole religious system built on fear of these angry gods that are just throwing lightning bolts. But that's not the true God. That's not the one true God, maker of heaven and earth. He is good. The Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And because God is good, we can come to him in prayer. And so what I want us to do is look on how knowing that God is good, how it will impact the way you and I pray. Looking at kind of the goodness of God, how it impacts how we talk to him, right? Because we saw this last week. Prayer is not just some religious tradition thing we do. It's not just these lyrics that we give up, you know, to, to, to God to kind of appease his wrath. It's conversation with our Abba Father, talking to God who is good. So because God is always good, we're going to look at three things about prayer. The first is this. Because, the first thing, so because God is always good, God's plan for my life will always be good. Because God is always good, God's plan for my life will always be good. Let me, and you don't have to shout it out loud, but you can if you want. Is there anything God can't? No, sounds like a good answer. (laughs) Tell a lie. God cannot do evil. Against his character. God is holy. God is just. God is love. God is good. God is mercy. So, yes, 
all-powerful, but he doesn't do evil because it goes against his character. He can't deny his character. Because God is always good, God's plan for my life will always be good. Look what the prophet Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. God says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I love when these prophets pray verses like this, because nine times out of ten, they're written in a time when life stinks. They're written in a time when either the people of Israel are under bondage or in slavery or being driven out of their land or the temple's being destroyed or there's war and there's famine and some prophet gets up in these worst case scenarios and says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you hope and a future. It's like, but my situation around me doesn't look very hopeful. The situation around me doesn't sound like or look like this is a very good plan. In fact, it looks like this plan sucks. It's not good. Right? But God says, I know the plans I have for you. Prosper you, not to harm you, give you plans, hope, and a future. Right? God has put a lot of thought into the plans for your life. You ever think about that for a moment? That God, like we, we hear verses like God had, you know, thought of me before the creation of the world and God has this wonderful plan for my life. And we, we say these things, but have you ever thought of the fact that God has intentionally thought out his plan for your life? I was thinking about that this week. And, and, and all I could come up with in why God would is because he's good. That God must be so good that he would care about someone like me. Like, I'm just, I'm just average. I'm just some guy, you know? Like, you know, I kind of grew up in an environment that isn't your traditional Christian environment. Like, you know, I kind of had a job and I did all these things and I wasn't, I like to think I wasn't a bad person, but I was kind of off the radar. I wasn't like I was this superstar or anything like that. But God just shows I was doing all these different things in my life and not because of me or my talent or my ability, but because of God's work in me and through me. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about this going, God, you, you've thought this out in advance. Who am I that you would be mindful of me? Who am I that you would even give me a second thought? God is good. And he thinks about you. He's planned out your life. I love how the psalmist writes this in Psalm 31 verse 19. It says, How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. How abundant abundant are the good things you have stored up this idea of god storing up good things for those here the verse says fear me but when the old testament talking about fear it's talking about reverence of god it's not like oh god ah." okay it's like this reverence of god for people who revere god god has stored up he's planned out thought this through 
He's prepared in advance for you these things because, you're, because he's good. He could have left everything in your life completely and totally up to chance. I kind of have some non-Christian friends, and we, we like to play these board games where you have to roll dice. You know, and we have like this board game that we play, and there's all these little soldiers on the table, and my 20 soldiers will be going up against his 20 soldiers, and my little soldiers and arrows, and his soldiers over here have got like swords and shields, and I roll 20 dice to kind of, you know, shoot my arrows at his, and I roll 20 six-sided dice, and I get 18 sixes. And my non-believing, my atheist friend looks at these 18 sixes that I just rolled out of 20 dice. He goes, you you, you rolled that because you're a Christian. (laughs) I'm like, dude, well, we could like even the game out right now. How you could accept Jesus into your heart and we could be playing this game on an even playing field. Right? But God planned out those 18 sixes. So I could have a spiritual conversation with a non-spiritual person. God thinks about, and and that sounds dumb, right? Doesn't God have better things to do? Aren't there some floods or cancer or things like that God should be worried about? God plans this stuff out for you because he's good. And because God is good, his plans for your life will always be good. Now I know what you're thinking, but Pastor Kevin, my life isn't good there's stuff going on in my life that's not this is the problem and we're going to talk more about this later on in this series but i have to talk a little bit about it right now is we as a culture have lost what i call a biblical theology of suffering We have lost the concept as the Western culture, as a Western church, as a kind of the Christian Christianity of Western society. We we've lost a good understanding of why suffering happens in the world, because everything in our world from birth to death is being set up to avoid all suffering. Everything is being planned out, thought out, put into legislation, put into practice, put into law to avoid any kind of suffering, to make life easy and comfortable and relaxed. And when we believe that that's what God actually intends for us as Christians, you will believe God is not good. And you will not pray to this God. Because my life isn't easy. My life isn't comfortable. There's some difficulties. Right? Jesus never promised comfort. Jesus never promises ease. Jesus never promises a simple life. Jesus, in this world, you will have many troubles. But take heart. I have overcome the world plans for you, even in times that are not good, in times of suffering, my plan for you is still good because I am good. Right? This is what Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, what the Apostle Paul wrote. He goes, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
The Greek word here that says all things, it, the, a better translation for that is all things. Every situation. The Greek here is not just talking about good situations. It's in everything. When you get the phone call from the doctor that there's a major health issue, when you look at the bank account and you're wondering how you're going to pay your bills, or you're looking at a a kind of a wayward teenager that's living a way that you're really scared for their life, or whatever it may be, in all things, God is working out good for those who love him. We need to believe that. We need to trust that. We can't see the big picture, but God does. And because God is good, his plans for my life will always be good. And that should drive us to pray more, especially when times are not good. Because it's like, God, what do you want to do with this? I know I know you love me. But God, there's this stuff that's going on. There's this struggle that's going on. There's this thing that's going on. God, what do you want to do with this? I've always been amazed at how God uses people to show his love to other people. Because it doesn't seem like God is in the business of taking really good religious people whose lives are perfect and using them to advance the kingdom of God. God seems to be in the business of taking broken people, sinful people, who have been hurt and wounded and loving them and healing them and restoring them and equipping them and then sending them out to do ministry to reach other hurting, broken people. I've loved when I've seen ministry leaders who do kind of you know, alcohol or drug recovery who are former alcoholics and drug addicts, who God healed and restored, and they can minister to these broken people in ways that no one else could because they get it and they can love on them. Divorced people who've done divorce recovery ministry for people, people who've gone through cancer to help walk along outside other families that are going through cancer. It's incredible how God uses our pain to do so many good things in the world. But if we think God hates us, God's mad at us, because we are suffering a little bit, we'll stop praying. We don't know the plan that he has for us. So we have to cling to the truth. Because God is good, I know God's plans for my life will always be good, even if I don't feel like it's good. So that's the first thing about God's goodness, how it drives us to pray. The second is this. So because God is always good, God always gives me what I need and not what I deserve. God always gives me what I need and not what I deserve. How do I say this nicely? Oh, there's no way to say it nicely. Here's the reality about you and me. Every single one of us have sinned. No exception. And if you're here today and you believe, no, actually, you're wrong. I've never sinned. You've got the sin of denial <laughs> and, and maybe lying and, and all these other things, okay? 
all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is only one person who's ever walked this planet to be without sin. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. (laughs) And you ain't him. I ain't him. We have sinned. And when you look at holy God, just God, God must deal with sin. You and I, in our sin, even what we would consider in our humanness to be the smallest of sins, because of God's great character, because of his holiness and his justice, you and I deserve hell. We do. All of us, because of our sinful nature, because of the sin that we've inherited from Adam and Eve, and because of the sin that we have done freely and by our own choice, not by the sins we've done by accident, you have sinned on purpose. All of us have. Every By choice, we are sinners. We deserve punishment. And God is so good that we don't get what we that is the heart of the gospel that we are not getting what you and i deserve all right look at how the psalmist put this in psalm verse uh uh sorry chapter 103 verses 10 and 12 it says god has not treated us as we deserve for our sins or paid us back for our wrongs in his goodness He has taken our sins away and removed them as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? Never quite figured that out. It's pretty far. I think it's infinite. It kind of goes off planet and keeps going. Warp drive to find the end of it. God has separated it because of his goodness. Because God is good. He's giving us what we need and not what we deserve. There are so many stories in the Bible where you can see this played out, where God doesn't punish people for their sin, where God doesn't give people what they deserve, but rather he gives them what they need because he is good. And a great example of that is King David. King David in the Old Testament is known as a man who is after God's own heart. He's kind of built up as this incredible spiritual leader, a man who loved God and God blessed his kingdom and did amazing things through his life and through his lineage. David um, saw another man's wife, slept with her, knocked her up, lied about it, got the husband to come back, had him killed, And then tried to cover that up. And God looks at this person and says, I love you. And your sin is as far away as the east is from the west. Because of David's heart in that moment of dealing with his sin. David writes in Psalm 51 verse 1 and 2. He writes about this failure of his he writes about this sinful time of his life and he writes this psalm 51 have mercy on me O god according to your unfailing love to your great compassion blot out my transgressions wash away all my inequities and cleanse me from my sin 
God doesn't give us what we deserve because he's good. God doesn't give us what we deserve because he's good, right? And God doesn't forgive you. God doesn't forgive me because we're good. There's a difference. God forgives us because he's good. God does more than simply forgive us. He welcomes us. He includes us into his family. We as human beings in our fallen nature have a deep fear of rejection. And you and I will do stuff that we would think we would never do simply to be accepted by other people around us. It's like when you're in, when you, when you're not in the fear or something, like, oh, like, I remember when I was in, like, we all know it's stupid, right? We all know it's going to kill you, right? No one knows, like, no, there's no one who buys a pack of cigarettes who's never heard that this is unhealthy. And yet, for some reason, when you get around a certain crowd of people, and I've done it, is I pull out my pack of smokes, and I light it up. <laughs> and are we cool? <laughs> and you force yourself to smoke it. So that everyone around you look, thinks you're cool because you're afraid of being rejected. Why do we do that? There's something in us, in us that wants to be included, that wants to be accepted, that wants to be part of something outside of ourselves. And that's what God has done for us. When Jesus died for you, when Jesus rose from the dead from you, when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to come in you, he has knit us together. He has brought us into the family of God. There are no orphans in the family of God. There aren't any. You might feel like you are one, but you're not one. We are brought in. He has dealt with this rejection. And so because God is good, he never rejects us. I love talking with Christians who believe that we can lose the love of God. There are different Christian beliefs. I believe that once you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are in the hands of God and nothing can pluck you away from God. Once you are saved, you are always saved. I firmly believe that. Other Christians say, well, there seems to be some verses that say the contrary and I believe you can lose your salvation. Here's what I love saying to them because this is fun for me. I like kind of debating theology every once in a while. I look at these people and I said, if you were capable of losing your salvation, you would have lost it by now. Right? If you were able to lose the love of God, you have done something since you've accepted Jesus that you know, oh boy, I'm sure glad God never rejects me because I should be rejected for this one. But God never rejects us because he is good and doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he gives us what we need and what we need is him. There is no other relationship in the world like that. None. 
even according to the Bible, not even our relationship with our parents is that loving. You know that? Look what the Bible says about our relationship with our parents in Psalm 27. It says, though my father and mother forsake me. What? It's in the Bible? It's in the Bible. It's like, oh, this kid? Get out! <laughs> though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord receives me. I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You can approach God in prayer because he'll never reject you. He'll never reject you. You can always come to him in prayer. You can be bold in your prayer because God is good and he's gracious to us. Not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what we need. And then the final thing, I want us to God is good. God put my good above his own good. Because God is good, God put my good above his own good. God died for you. Jesus left heaven, the thrones of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the ultimate glory of being in the presence of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus is born of a virgin, lives life as a man, fully God, fully man. Is every single way that you and I are tempted, but yet was without sin. And he's accused of blasphemy by sinful men and women. He went around and said, I am God. He didn't say, I'm just a good moral teacher. I'm a rabbi you should listen to. He said, I'm God. And they killed him for that. They put him in a tomb. And three days later, he rose again in victory over sin and death. He ascended back into heaven, and now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, speaking on our behalf to God. God put your good ahead of his own good. The idea that a king would die for the peasants. The idea that a shepherd would die for the sheep. That is who God is in his goodness. Right? John said this. Uh, sorry, now Jesus said this in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Jesus said, I'm a good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I will sacrifice my life for my sheep. And again, Jesus said in John 15:13, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life. For his friends. The cross is the ultimate picture of God's goodness. The cross of Jesus Christ is the ultimate picture of God's goodness. No one else in the history of humanity has ever said they would pay for your sin. But God did. God doesn't prove his goodness to you and me by answering our prayers. God wants to hear our prayers. God wants to answer our prayers. But God's goodness is not proven by his answering of prayers. God's goodness was already proven when Jesus died for you. 
If all you have at the end of life is Jesus, you have the greatest gift ever. You don't need anything else because you have an Abba Father who loves you. And you have a restored relationship with that Heavenly Father. And you can be in the arms of your Abba Father for eternity. Yeah, a nice house and a Porsche would be great. <laughs> million dollars would be nice. 60-inch plasma, 4K TV, sure, that sounds great. But at the end of the day, if it's only Jesus, it's the greatest thing ever. And God has proven his goodness to you in that. That God put my good, your good, over his own good. Right? And here's what's amazing about this sacrifice that Jesus not only did, did God show his goodness by dying for us, is then God put his goodness into you and me. If you have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, the goodness of God that is seen in the life of Jesus is placed into you as a follower of God. Look at what 2 Corinthians verses 5.21 says. God made him, being Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Other translations put it this way. It says that in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. The goodness of God is placed into the heart and lives of every single Christian. Because God put my above his own good. Romans 4.25 says this, Jesus died for our sins and rose again to make us right with God, filling us with God's goodness. This is why the message of Jesus is not simply kind of, here's a card, here's a pass from the wrath of God. Here's a pass to get you out of hell and go to heaven. The message of Jesus is a transformed life today that makes a difference everywhere that we go because of God's goodness in us, spilling out of us, impacting the people around us. And so we go to God in prayer because of that goodness. Say, God, because I didn't get what I deserved, because your plan for me is good, because, God, you put my good above your own good, God, how do you want to use me today to show this world how good you are? Christianity was never meant to be something that we consume. Christianity was never meant to be something that we criticize. Christianity was meant to be something that you and I Because God so loved us that Jesus would die for us. And he builds us up, he cleans us up, and then he sends us out to bring that love and that goodness everywhere that we go. Everything that God does is for your good because of his goodness. What you know about determine how you talk to them. Until you truly believe in the goodness of God, until you are absolutely convinced that God is always good to you, if you don't ever get there, your prayers are going to be powerless, passionless, passionless, 
and pointless. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in you and me. So how do you pray? God, just bless this food in my body. God, give me a nice day. You say, God, use me to change the world. God, there is a world out there that desperately needs to know how good you are. They don't need to know which political party we hate. They don't need to know which people group we hate. They don't need to know what decision people are living by that we hate. They already deep down know. People who are struggling in their sin don't need us to point out their sin. They already know what it is. They don't need us to call them they're no good. They need us to show them the goodness of God. And it starts by how we pray for them, how we pray for ourselves, how we pray for our family, how we pray for government, how we pray for our church. That's why prayer is so key. And it has to be hinged on the goodness of God. So let's pray together. God, we praise you because you're good. And some days, Lord, I will admit that I don't fully grasp your goodness. There are days when life can seem overwhelming, when I can get cranky. Yes, even pastors get cranky sometimes. So God, forgive me for those times when I take my eyes and my thoughts and my heart off of your goodness and get focused on situations around me. Forgive me, Lord, when I'm too focused on my sin or the sins of others and how those are impacting life. And God, help me. Help all of us to be focused on your goodness. Because, Lord, you are good and your love endures forever. So help us, Lord, to make that our reality over these 40 days of prayer. As we look at Bible verses every day as we pray every day, as we discuss these topics in our life groups during the week, God, help us to be focused on your goodness and that your goodness would impact how we pray to you. And then that your, those prayers would be heard by you and Lord, move in powerful ways in our lives and in the lives of those we love. And we would see more people come to know the goodness of Jesus. We'd see more people set free from the power of sin and death And we would see you glorified by your goodness at work in your church. God, as we collect our tithes and our offerings now, pray the Lord that you would use these gifts, use this tithe, use this generosity of your children for your glory. Use this money to continue the great work that you are doing in our church, in our fellowship, in our church plants, and around the world, Father, through our missionaries. You are doing great things, God, and we give you all the glory for that. And as we continue to worship, Lord, help us to remain focused on your goodness this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.